encourage all of us as we, this month of October, we're seeking to incur, to be an encouragement to each other as Hebrews 3.13, encourage each other daily as long as it's today. So continue doing that. And I think as you, if you've been doing it, you've probably had a, an episode or two where you've seen God at work and doing cool things in a story or two. But uh, so I'm just encouraging us to keep encouraging each other. Make that a habit here, especially in these days of October. Well, let's uh, turn our attention to Hebrews. As we look at Hebrews in chapter 8 and chapter 9, considering Jesus is greater and how Jesus is superior, greater. Well, we'll get ahead of ourselves. What do you think of when you see this tube TV? <laughs> the tubes were heavy. In the house we're in presently, we got a big old 32-inch TV one, one time. And I had to have the neighbor come over and help me lift it because it was over 100 pounds and was putting it up high, and I didn't want to drop it. So, yeah, the tube TVs were heavy. But who, anyone has a tube TV like this at home and still watches TV on it? So-so. <laughs> well, not many do because it's really obsolete. If you watch TV and see a show or a movie or a sporting event on that, you go, Really? You can't, you, you literally can't do it because it's, it's no good compared to the new stuff. In other words, we'd say it's obsolete. Well, there's other things that are obsolete. I'm trying to be a farmer in this current day and age with horses and buggy. You're not gonna, it's gonna be really difficult to be productive and make a living. Or how about film cameras? Not many film cameras, maybe a few around, but practically everything's gone digital. Or how about Blockbuster Video Store? Anybody go to one of those recently? I think there's only one or two left in the entire nation. And anyone remember 8-track players? Oh, my. 8-track players, for those of you who are a little younger than those of us who are older, they were terrible. And we had one in our house growing up. And in the middle of one song that I liked, it would stop and go... That was it, changing tracks. And then it would take and then it would start up again. So right in the middle of the song, they changed the track. So <laughs> certainly CDs and digital music is, is way better. Or the old typewriters. They used to have typewriters before they had computers so you'd type papers on. And here's, the kind of here's the kind of typewriter that some of us old people learned how to type keyboard on, IBM Selectric. Yeah, they're all, but all these things are obsolete. Or how about the 70s clothing? People actually dress like this. People actually dressed like this back in the, in the days. But you, you wouldn't want to wear this today. This stuff was not good. And it was polyester, it didn't breathe. It was, it was nasty. What, what we're looking at is things that are obsolete or suitcases without rollers on it. You like to carry that through the airport these days? No, practically everything's got rollers on it. All these things are obsolete. You know, they were good for a time, but no one looks to those things today or buys these things. We get rid of those things. You know, just like our communication, how we communicate is, has changed these days as well. You know, I mean, back smoke signals, drumming, carrier pigeons, Pony Express, Telegraph, now, of course, to cell phones and the like. Maybe you're in the military or Boy Scouts, you learned about signaling. But what a difference it makes with uh, wireless communication. All these things are obsolete. And what what the writer of Hebrews is saying is the first covenant, the old covenant, was good for a time, just like these things. The tube TV was great in 1960, 
But for 2018, it's, it's obsolete. Just as the first covenant, what under Moses that God had given to the people of Israel was good for a time, now it's obsolete because something greater has happened and that greater thing is Jesus Christ. God has sent Jesus as the, the greater, the better, the superior covenant and promise of God to us. Jesus is that. And the old new covenant stands over the old in a great way, shouting, this is better. This is far superior. It's a better way of life, of following God, a better way to live. So Jesus stands superior in everything in life. Jesus is better. That's why we're saying the incomparable Jesus we're studying here in Hebrews. Well, let's consider a couple thoughts from these text here in Hebrews chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. First, the old is an image. The old, the covenant is more than a style to be updated. The old covenant, you know, like those 70s uh, polyester bell bottoms and that, that's a style that has been improved on. But the old here is more than just a style, but it's something that has lacking or deficiencies in it that needs to be improved. The first covenant had shortcomings as to do with the place and the work of God. In fact, the first covenant, the scriptures say, was actually deficient. There's deficiency, just like this guy trying to be a superhero. You know, if you can't jump over a stool, you're probably not going to do very well in a superhero mode. He's deficient in that. Hebrews 8, 5. They serve, the first covenant serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of that which is in heaven. In other words, the first covenant was a reflection of what is greater, but it was there for a time. But it's a shadow, it's a copy of what's greater, of what's in heaven. For the shadows and copies are a reflection or an image of what's real, but they themselves are not what's real. In other words, this first covenant has, has some deficiencies. It was a copy of something greater, an earthly copy of a heavenly reality. And that's really what this first covenant is. A shadow, the whole idea of a shadow, of what that is. A shadow, a copy. When we look here at the girl looking at her shadow, it's kind of cute, but we lose detail, don't we? We lose the reality or the, the cuteness and who the wholeness of who this young girl is. Or a shadow can uh, confuse somebody. Here's a guy who, who misinterprets the shadow. So just trying to show how shadow and a copy. Maybe some of you have heard or seen copycat bands. You know, the Beatles, there's cover bands that try to emulate what the Beatles were because the Beatles were so popular in their day. So people form that. And not just the Beatles, but even more so, Elvis impersonators. Anyone seen a bunch of Elvis impersonators? Yeah, yeah, they've made movies about them. You, go to, you can go to places like Las Vegas and they'll have shows of Elvis impersonators. Well, you know, it might be entertaining, but it's a shadow, it's a copy. It's not the real thing. It's not really Elvis, it's not really the Beatles. It's not gonna be at that level. It's just something that's trying to get off on what was original and make their way. And what the author is trying to say is this first covenant is a shadow of what's in heaven, verses five through eight. 
they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. And what is they? The priests, the tabernacle, the temple, animal sacrifices, feasts, ceremonies, dietary laws, all these things are just a reflection, a shadow of something greater in heaven that was given by God to the people of Israel through Moses for a time to restrain sin and keep them in relationship with God. But it was always meant to be temporary. It was a shadow. It wasn't the final work of God. For he's pointing out that Jesus is the reality of the heavenly eternal covenant. That's why Jesus is superior. For the ministry Jesus received is greater, verse 6. We see that. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So this next work of God, this new work of God through Jesus Christ, his life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection is greater, and it surpasses, it supplants that which is in the first covenant. And the writer makes this clear because as he's writing to the, the people of God, there were some who were trying to hold on to the old, hold on to the old and say, but we, we've followed this for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's good things and we like it, we're used to it. And the writer is saying that was there for a time, but it's just an image of what is greater, of what God intends for you. And so we have to move on to something greater and better and not get stuck in the old because this is what God has for us. Because God had found fault with the people verses seven and eight. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with his people. In other words, the first covenant was good for its time, but it was insufficient to accomplish what God needed to do in the eternal perspective. Because it couldn't effectively forgive us of our sins. And it didn't enable us as people to effectively follow God. Now some live faithfully, but what we see is the clear majority of the leaders, the priests, the nations didn't walk in faith with God under that first covenant. In fact, you know, as we've seen story after story in the Old Testament that the writer of Hebrews talks about is the failures of the people to walk in faith and follow him. The writer expands on, on this concept as he gets into chapter 9. And he talks about regulations and why it was there. And then he said that in chapter 9, verse 6, priests entered regularly into the, the outer room, but only once a year they could go to the inner room for the forgiveness of sins. And first they had to what? Make, make atonement for their own sins. And then he goes on to say in chapter 9, verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing that by this, the way into the most holy place had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. Otherwise, there was something greater still out there. Something greater. This is here for a time. But even the Old Testament, the writers, Moses, see this as just the first looking for something greater. Moses didn't see the, the mediator of the first covenant. He did not see it as the final covenant. He saw it as there for a time. For the covenant, the first covenant, lacked the means to connect us with God permanently. It could hold off the wrath of God against sin for a time, but it couldn't reconcile us permanently with God. We couldn't enter the most holy place. Only the priests could do it once a year after they made forgiveness of sins. The holy place was the innermost sanctuary in the tabernacle or temple where the Spirit of God dwelt. But we couldn't go in there. The average person couldn't go in there. In other words, we were still separated from God. We couldn't be in the presence of God because of his great holiness and the sin that we still had in our lives. So we didn't have true reconciliation for sin. 
And so we didn't have that lasting peace with God because there were issues that hadn't been permanently resolved. There was that separation, unresolved sin. There wasn't lasting peace. That is a huge deficiency. But the new covenant through Christ addresses all this through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for our redemption. And in chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, it makes this clear that the new blood through the blood of the new covenant through the blood of Christ addresses all this and fixes it. So that the deficiencies of the old no longer exist in the new. That we need something greater, and that greater is Jesus. So the old's an image, a copy, a shadow. The old is also inadequate. It wasn't good enough. The writer points us back to the covenant Israel had with Moses, that first covenant, the laws, the temple, the tabernacle. You know, they had been following this in the time of the writing for some 1,400 years. So they had been following it a long time. From the time that Moses gave it to the people of God on the Mount, Mount Sinai, the people. But a lot had taken place through those years. And we find here in chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, the longest quote of a scripture from the Old Testament in the New, from Jeremiah 31. The writer of Hebrews takes that and quotes it and encases it here so that we don't miss the fact that the prophet Jeremiah was saying the exact same thing that the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, that God would do something new and he would bring forth a new covenant and write it on our hearts. It would be an internal covenant written on the hearts so that we could be right with God and that the Old Testament saw this to be true. This is not something the Old Testament would fight against, but the prophets and the leaders, Moses himself, saw it as necessary. And so the writer's building this so that the people of God realize, yes, this new covenant supersedes the old. And that is God's plan from the very beginning. They, the nation of Israel lacked the faith that God demands. They didn't trust in him. At the heart of the issue, they didn't follow the covenant faithfully. But God, in his love, in his great mercy, did he eliminate the people of Israel? Did he say, that's it, I'm done with you? No, he didn't. He worked to find a way that he could reconcile his relationship with them and show his love to Israel. They were disciplined for disobedience, but God keeps his good word, his faithfulness, and that he would do this new work, this new covenant, because that present covenant was obsolete. The new one is to come. The Mosaic Covenant, which was good for a time to, to keep sin in check, but we needed something greater. Hebrews 8, 13, but calling this covenant new, the covenant through Jesus Christ, he has made the first one through Moses obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. In other words, we're no longer to follow the ways of the old covenant, but we're to follow Jesus Christ by the spirit who lives within us for all of us who have faith in him, the new covenant through his, through his blood. Why is, the, why is the old covenant obsolete? Well, one thing, it, it aged. It aged. It, it couldn't get the job done. If you talk to seniors, I talk to my father, he's 89, and he'll say, yeah, getting old isn't for sissies. You know, have you heard that? It's not, not for sissies because there's challenges in getting old and, and aging because what can happen? Your eyes can go and hips and knees, all kinds of things can take place where the, the body breaks down. And aging is part of it. 
Well, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Though outwardly we're wasting away, in other words, our bodies are breaking down, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our bodies break down, but praise God that through him we're being renewed and built up in the spirit to prepare us for our eternal home with God. So as our bodies go through this and need something greater, we need new bodies. I mean, wouldn't it be awful if God said, nope, the body you have now is the body that you're going to have for the next thousand years, and it's going to break down and decay and fall apart, but you're never going to die, but we're going to age and go through the you know, deficiencies? That would be horrible because we'd be trapped in a body that wasn't sufficient for what God has for us. Well, in the same way, if we hold on to that first covenant, it's insufficient for how God wants us to live and follow him by faith. It's the new covenant through Christ's blood that we need. And Moses saw this as well, and he foresaw it in Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. He's looking forward to Jesus from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, Moses talked about me. He saw me that I would come. Moses, who's a mediator of this covenant, saw that it was only for a time, giving credence to what the writer of Hebrews is saying, because it's from God, who inspired Moses, that we still are looking for something better, that which we have found through Jesus Christ, that the great new and final covenant through his blood. For this new covenant addresses our sins, our failures, and solves it through the blood of Christ shed on the cross for our redemption. So the deficiency of the old are clear. We need something greater, better. You and I both need it. For Jesus Christ has acted on our behalf and accomplished the marvelous work for us on the cross. So we have the old, which is an image, the old, which is obsolete, and we have inadequate. The new, praise God, is ideal. The new covenant through the blood of Christ is ideal. It is perfect. And when we think of ideal, ideal means the perfectness or the perfect standard. Nothing could be greater or higher or better. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ is the final work of God. It is the ideal. Nothing can improve on it. It's God's work for our redemption and, and for making us right with God and enabling us to live by faith for Jesus Christ. It's that permanent, lasting work of God. It can't be improved upon. For the imperfect work of the human priest is replaced by the work of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, for us. The writer of the Hebrews says, in chapter 9, 12, with his blood, Jesus' blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all and secured our redemption forever. So Jesus secures our redemption forever through his death on the cross so that we can be right with God. We put our faith and trust in him and we never have to find anything else or wait for anything else to grow and become what he has for us. Because he died for us and he gives us his Holy Spirit when we trust in him so we can follow our Lord and Savior. For his blood, the blood of Jesus, replaces the blood of animals. His promise surpasses the promises of before. And his leadership opens up the leading of his people into the land of eternal promise, not just the land of rest here on earth, but the land of rest eternally in heaven with God forever. In chapter 8, verse 10, the writer says, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. God changes his covenant from 
an external, the laws of Moses, an external regulation of laws and rules to follow to an internal working of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. That's the change because of what Jesus Christ has done. And this is a monumental change from outside to within. It isn't primarily about rules. It's about having that relationship with God and having his presence through the Holy Spirit in our life at all times. It's this powerful work of Christ on the cross was a means by which God is able to make this change for his people. God's presence isn't just in this holy place in the innermost sanctuary of a temple. God's presence is where? Within the lives of all his people, by his spirit. So he lives within us. So God is present. God's presence, his power is in us as we follow Jesus Christ. That is an unbelievable change. And I say that it's, it's a massive transformation, planned and foretold by God. Enable us to be faithful to the work and word of God. Not because it's forced on us, but because we realize this is how we want to live. It's the gift that we have received because it's true. Uh, let's, let's consider, you know, as I was reflecting on this, in the recent years, we've had a lot of different shootings in schools and in places of business and at concerts and nightclubs, mass killings over the past number of years. And those who study this thing will consider a, a mass shooting anytime in one episode four or more people are shot. In the United States presently, there's a mass shooting on the average once a day. Can you imagine that? So far this year, there's been over 250 mass shootings as of September. So just about one a day where four or more people are shot. Doesn't mean all of them die, but when that takes place. And you think about how do we, how do we fight against that? How do, we, how do we stop that? Well, you know, there's things we can do. You know, proper gun laws. Um, metal detectors, certainly we have that at airports. That's made a difference in hijackings. Metal detectors at school, that may be a good idea. There's, there's different ways we can try to attack it. We probably, through these things, can't eliminate it altogether. We may be able to, through spending money and working hard at it, cut it down. But imagine if we had one superpower, and that superpower wasn't to fly or to have abs of steel or, or something like that, to run like the Flash. But if we had a superpower that we could put our hands on someone and touch them, and their lives would be changed from the outside to within, where their hearts were, were warm to Jesus Christ. And if we could put our hands on those who had intentions of killing, and their insides were changed, you know what? Mass shootings would disappear, wouldn't they? Because what? It's not the external which ultimately is going to be effective, but it's that which is inside. If we can change from the inside, change those from the inside out, then their motivation or desire to do such will go away, and it would stop. That's what Jesus Christ is doing for us here in this new covenant. No longer, when we read the scriptures, you say, okay, I have to do these things because I have to find that God will love me. If I do these things, if I follow this, if I do enough for him, then God will love me and I can find peace. No, God through Christ has achieved the peace on the cross when we trust him, put our faith in him. We have peace with God. It's settled. So now we no longer have to earn. We no longer have to follow these rules. What we have to do 
is obey by faith. Not to earn his acceptance, not to earn his favor, but as a response to all he has done for us. And that changes everything. It's from within. And the writer of Hebrews primarily is trying to say, realize people, this is the work of God through Jesus by his spirit within us that changes, shapes, and, and molds us to his, peop- his ways. It's not the external just trying to do it by our own strength. It's God at work within. And that's that massive transformation that has occurred through Jesus in the new covenant. And that is a transformation which will change us, will change your life. For when it's within, we are truly changed. This is the, con- the greatest contrast between the new and old. It's within, not from the old outside. So this work of God in Christ is written on our hearts through the new covenant in Christ's blood. Does it no longer mean we need the word of God? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means is we study it and we seek to obey because this is what we know is true and it's God's direction for our lives and by the spirit within us who leads us to follow and obey him. Because we have peace with God, our sins are forgiven. And we have a relationship with God through Christ which can't be taken away, praise be to his name. Do we see the difference between this? Do we, do we understand what difference this means? It means that in the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments. Did you realize that? 613 commandments. There's 248 do's and there's 365 don'ts. And the, the Jewish scholars had all of this put together. And the Jews tried to follow, the people of Israel tried to follow that. Well, how, how can we do that? How can we obey 613? It's it's overwhelming. They couldn't. But praise God. God has written the new commandments to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. That's written on our hearts. That sums up everything. And as we do it, empowered by the Spirit, God is at work in our life. Praise be to his name. What a superpower that we have within. The old is lacking, the new is lasting. The old is aging, the new is ageless. The old is unable, but the new is able. The old is external, the new is internal. The old is a copy, the new is original. The old is good, the new is better. The old is failing, the new is faultless. The, new is, the old is by my spirit, the new is by the spirit of God. Jesus is better, his superior. This new covenant of God's work in his blood Hebrews says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And now that he has died as a ransom, to what? To set them free, to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He has died to set us free so that we can live for him. Paul picks up on this and says, Brothers and sisters, you are called to be free, so do not use your freedom to indulge in this sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Because we have the Spirit of God within us, he's calling us in our freedom to serve one another. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Hebrews goes on, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblenched to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Christ has died to redeem us, to save us, so that we are freed to serve the living God, that we're not trying to just keep all these commands. No, that we follow the spirit, follow his leading, and live for him. We're freed to serve. So that's part of the good news. You are set free to what? To serve God. That's one of the 
benefits of this new covenant through Christ. We are made right with God. Our sins are forgiven. We're reconciled. We have peace with God. And we're set free to follow God, to live for him, to serve him. That's why God has worked for us as a church, as individuals. There are people around us. There's people we know that are lost in their, their confusion, in their sin, in hurt and in pain. God has set us free, if we, as we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to serve, to be his servants, to do his work, to give a cup of cold water, to give the, the words of life, to encourage, to help. And we can do it because we have received it from God so we can serve one another. Praise God, that is one of the greatest benefits here of the new covenant through the work of Christ, that we're free to serve because Jesus, the superior covenant, has done this for us, set us free to live and to serve him. Christ's work in the new covenant makes this possible to have lasting, healthy, life-affirming, life-giving, joy-producing, purpose-filled, difference-making, eternally secure, Holy Spirit at work in us that we spread out, that we overflow to serve one another to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We are freed to serve. How are you and living? How am I living? Are we seeking to earn God's favor in life? Or are we serving God with our life? Understand the freedom we have received through the new covenant of Christ and his work. Then using that place as a foundation to serve God and to do his work. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we love you and thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the incredible work of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. Lord, we thank you for the old, but we praise you for the glorious new, the permanent ideal covenant. And Lord, that through Jesus, you have changed our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you've set us free to serve. Help us to be a people who live on that strong foundation, that we live to serve you because we've received a glorious relationship through Christ by faith. We love you. Give us strength. Fill us with your spirit, individually and corporately, Lord, to live and serve you, we pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen, amen. Well, we take our time here now for a few minutes to just converse about the sermon and uh, things that you're thinking about or what God was speaking to you. And the floor is open to anyone who has questions, comments, insights, ideas.